This one's for anyone who wants to do their first wholesale deal, start building up their side hustle with a $22,000 first deal, just like Ethan Wadsworth did, our special guest, who's going to tell you his journey, which ends up being 16 different tips for making that $22,000. This is the podcast to 10X your income and replace your W-2. My name's David Lecko, and I created a process that's helped people close 10,000 deals in all 50 states called Deal Machine. So Ethan, how much did you make on your very first real estate wholesale deal? Oh, um, my very first one, um, about 22,000. Really? That's a lot? Yeah. That's a lot for somebody who just did the first one. Yeah. So I had actually, um, I came from the financial side of the industry um, and so I really tried to study how all the numbers worked. And my first deal was actually a flip. But through that, I got to uh, know how all the numbers worked, and different things like that. And I really got intrigued on wholesaling uh, instead because, uh, you know, I had to go raise some money. Um, I did it with a friend who was experienced, who had done it before. Um, and all in all, I lost about $2,000 on my flip which was actually my first real estate deal. But that led me to get a lot more interested and focused into wholesaling. Um, and so- When you say raise money, you just meant you needed to make money, right? Uh, yeah, so like I said, my, my first deal was actually the flip. Um, a buddy found it, and so he and I put money towards getting that. But I didn't really like doing flips that much. Does that make sense? And so I did a flip. Uh, we had to raise money to do it, but- I have found it to be much more advantageous to go after really just wholesaling because you don't have any risk. Uh, you don't have to raise any money. Uh, you make your profit all of day one. And from my experience, you can make just as much, if not more, off of a wholesale than you could a flip. And you don't have the risk of debt, of people falling through. Uh, it was about an hour and a half away, so I had to drive there. Um, so I've done a couple of flips, but my primary business and what I much prefer to do if I can is to wholesale a deal. So, okay. Yeah. All those reasons make a lot of sense. Yeah. So you had a flip, a lot of work, lost two grand. Then what'd you do next? Yeah. To get that first deal. Um, so I came from sales. I was actually working in a business where we did a lot of financing. So I had met a lot of investors who were doing this, started to learn how um, how flipping and, and wholesaling worked. And I actually uh, partnered up with a buddy of mine who was kind of already doing this, um, but I had come from sales um, and he needed some help. Uh, he could find some deals from time to time, but uh, he was having trouble closing them. Um, so I actually uh, came on board with him, he and I, um, did it for a couple years together and, um, he kind of focused on finding the deals and I would focus on closing the deals. Um, so we did that for a few years. Um, and then, uh, he decided to go another route. I really wanted to continue doing this. Um, and so we parted ways a couple years ago. He's, he's a great guy. Love him. Um, but he decided he wanted to go another way and I kept on doing this. Cool. So, how was he finding these deals? And in particular, the very first one where you made $22,000. 
Um, he was just doing a lot of list calling, different things like that. So we had a lot of outbound marketing. We actually had VAs uh, that we're using. We're purchasing lists and things like that. We had two or three VAs uh, at any given time, and we were going after properties you know, that a lot of people uh, were kind of doing. And since then, we've kind of changed how we've done it, but it was just kind of blasting specifically. Yeah, yeah. What type of property specifically were you guys going after? Um, I mean, they were older, you know, uh, three twos, um, really didn't care too much about the size. Um, but uh, I'm in Dallas-Fort Worth, and so it's a huge market. And you can go after the really expensive houses, the medium houses, or, you know, the houses. Uh, we bought several under $50,000, even in the past couple of years, which is not very common. Like today, you can't really find that. And so we are definitely focusing on uh, lower end properties. Um, there's a few neighborhoods in the area that we had a lot of success in. We've, we found about four. Um, and here, it's funny, I always grew up, my parents would always say, you know, it's all about the location, 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 location when it comes to real estate. And I've kind of changed that. It, it's all about numbers, numbers, numbers. It, especially in Dallas-Fort Worth, it doesn't matter as much where it is. It just matters if the numbers work. And if the numbers work, anyone will buy it um, uh, because there's there's a good market for it. And so we focused a lot in those areas that were, um, you know, under $700,000, we could get those deals um, and then flip them to investors um, who would sell them for around two hundred to $250,000. Okay. And I, I just wanted to hone in on this first one because everyone listening is trying to do their first one. So you're, you're, Picking properties that were over 40 years old, maybe three bedroom, two bath, right? Right. And was he, do you remember if he was marketing to them via direct mail or was he cold calling those types of properties? We were, we were doing a lot of cold calls. Yeah. So, um, Got it. we were, we we're getting these lists and we we're having our VAs. They would go out and get some initial interest and then I would follow up and, uh, you know, so try to, try to close the deal. Call. They would make the call. Right. They would. Yeah. Got it. Okay, cool. Yeah. Love it. So once they got somebody that was interested, you're saying they'd pass them over to you? Yep. They'd pass it over to me. Um, and then I would speak to them. Um, I'd go take a look at the property, see it, um, kind of let them know what, uh, what we were looking to do and, uh, just go from there. So it, it worked pretty well. Got it. And, and what was the reason why this person in particular wanted to sell to you? Do you remember that? Um, I think it was just a, a passed down property to them that they didn't really know what to do. I think another part of their family even, uh, tried to fix it. Uh, but they spent, you know, $5,000 on new windows and thought, man, this is going to take a lot more than <laughs> we thought it was going to. <laughs> so, um, they decided, you know what, we're done. We don't want any part of that. Yes. If you're not really used to working with contractors, for example, it can be very frustrating right. if you don't line up the incentives correctly. So that makes a lot of sense why they'd want to get rid of it. And then was this one of those properties that you offered $50,000 on? Uh, we uh, we actually offered about twenty five. Okay. How did you come up with that? Do you remember? Um. Well, I went to go see it. They were just 
in a rush. They hadn't even seen the property, I think, in three years, maybe longer than that. And so, um, wow, wow. So they inherited it like over three years ago, or right? I think I actually even reminded them that they had it. <laughs> so it was out of mind, out of sight. They hadn't seen it in a long time. Um, and so we ended up talking about it and, uh, you know, a big thing that I always try to do is, is to, to kind of get them to talk first. That's a big thing when it, when it comes in sales, you know, um, is trying to get an idea of where their expectation of price is. And you can, you know, I like to use that as a baseline, uh, and then make my offer around that. So, um, I'm just trying to get the backstory on why they're where they're at, what their pain points are, and then try to offer a solution. Uh, and sales is, is more than anything, it's asking questions and leading people to their own conclusions. So uh, it was just following up on that. So that's what they wanted, and we were able to give them what they wanted. How did you end up knowing that that was going to be a good price that worked for you, not only them? Very smart that you let them come to that it's hard to get that out of somebody typically, but obviously you you asked the right questions that made them feel comfortable saying that. Yeah, for sure. And how did I I get to that number? Um, you know, I went into it with kind of a top number that I might be able to give, but um, obviously it's a business and you spend a lot of time looking for these deals. Like you don't get one every day. A lot of times not even one every month. Uh, so... Um, yeah, I came in with the number that I knew that would work for me. Anything that I could get below that would work. Um, and then you just start at the top and reverse engineer the thing, right? What could it be worth once someone is done? Uh, what kind of profit would that person need to make? Um, what do I want to make on that? And then ultimately, right? You know, that's that's your that's your offer. And you know, I'm no wizard at uh, at Excel or anything, but. I got on there, I've played around a little bit, and I made a really simple, nothing that's too fancy, just calculator that I can put in ARV, price per square foot, estimated rehab, uh, and then it pops out an offer on what a flipper could offer, and then anything that would be under that, I'd, I'd, I'd be able to make. So, Hey guys, if you feel a little bit hesitant when you're analyzing a deal, I want to let you know that with Deal Machine Alma, our AI assistant, you can ask it to analyze a wholesale deal, ask it a flip deal, or analyze an actual buy and hold deal. And because it knows the real estate data that we have inside of Deal Machine, it's the power of ChatGPT plus real estate data that can give you these really helpful answers. Deal Machine Alma is available on all Deal Machine Pro accounts. You can start a trial at dealmachine.com pod and also get $35 of direct mail that you can send by using that link. How do you calculate your ARV, the after repair value? Um, so I actually uh, use a software uh, that it looks into the market and uh, it just looks at comparable homes. So I have a realtor that I've worked with before and if I'm just really not getting a good feel on a property, I'll send it over to my realtor and say, hey, what do you think about this? Because uh, I do mostly uh, work by myself even now. Um, and it's great to have a second, uh, opinion on stuff. And so I've done that a lot as well with other wholesalers and investors that I work with. It's like, Hey, take a look at this. 
what do you think this ARV at this point? You know, I've gotten pretty good of defining what that could be. And today it's, it's a little bit hard because we're in a, a crazy market. Um, we weren't sure what COVID was going to do to it. Right. And we thought, oh man, we're out of business. I'm going to need to go be a cash register at Walmart now. <laughs> Real estate's done. But I mean, you know, and everyone knows at this point, it, it, it shot up to some of the highest, uh, highest values we've ever seen. Now it's a little bit stagnant. And so now it's a little bit more tough. And shoot, back then you could take the highest selling property that is even close to yours, add another fifteen, $20,000 onto it, and someone was going to buy it. So it's, it's changed quite a bit now. Speaking of, how did you sell this property? This is your very first wholesale deal. So you didn't have a list of buyers that you knew probably. Right. So like I said, I, I came in uh, with a buddy who had been doing this. And, uh, I'm, I'm by no means a self-made guy. You know, uh, I don't think anyone in real estate really is. There's someone who's kind of forged it before them. That's maybe done it. Uh, and so my whole career, whether that's professionally outside of real estate in real estate, you need to get around good people that are doing the same kind of thing that you want to be doing. Uh, and real estate, I would say 90% is it 90% of it is just lingo. If you know what ARV is, if you know what rehab budgets potentially could be, or if you know someone that could call them, like it's not a game that you're going to do very quickly or very well by yourself, especially if it's your first deal. And so that would be my recommendation to someone who's wants to get into it. Even if you can just get a property under contract so that you can have an attempt to sell it. Now you don't want to waste people's time. You know, you want to do good business and different things like that, but it's not the worst thing in the absolute world if for whatever reason you can't close on the deal. You know, you get your seven-day option period. You're trying to move that to an investor. We probably close at least 90% of the properties that we get under contract, but especially starting out, like make offers, get stuff under contract, and you don't have to have everything figured out day one. Like just take one step and you go, oh shoot, I've got someone who might actually want to sell. You know, there's some super simple contracts that are out there that a second grader could fill out. Uh, you know, you can go to a number of different places and find a really simple contract that says their name, purchase price, and your close date. And an attorney probably wouldn't recommend that, but that's basically all you need. You know, as you get more advanced, and I've had some deals where in Texas we use the Trek contract, which is the standard form for every sale in the state of Texas. Once you get a little bit more advanced, you can start looking at that and it does offer some protections for you, but just get out there and start swinging away, trying to get stuff under contract. Um, because the hardest thing in real estate is to find an address. And as a wholesaler, that's like your main job. And if you can find an address that will make sense, you can sell it. So just find good deals. Interrupting this episode to tell you guys that a contract, when you're dealing with somebody who wants to sell their house that's run down and something in their life happens where they need to get rid of it and they would prefer speed and convenience over the top dollar for their house, they're experiencing stress. Now, the typical real estate contract in your state probably is 17 pages long, and that can actually add to the stress and make them uncomfortable. Why are there so many words? One of the things that I've been using is a meetup in town told me 
they recommend using a shorter version of the contract. And she actually said, you only need five things for a real estate contract. The buyer, the seller, the address, the date of closing, and the price, and that's it. Now, the one I use is a bit more, three pages long, but I found that it's helpful to share it for informational purposes and entertainment only. If you're curious, go to dealmachine.com slash contract if you want to see what that looks like. Yeah, and the, the best deals I've gotten, it was so easy. I didn't like give them lots of pressure or sales techniques to get a good price. You know, they just no. were happy with, with walking away. So, but but selling it always hangs people up. So do you do you remember like, who was this character that ended up buying this first one from you? I, I understand it may have come from your partner at the time, right? He's right. The relationship maybe, but who, who was this guy? Who was this person that bought the property? Right. So again, real estate is a team sport. And I say that to my sellers. I say, say it to my investors. We're trying to get a situation that makes sense and makes everyone happy. And so, um, you know, we've got a couple pocket buyers that, that we used, um, Sometimes they would be full. Sometimes they would want it. Sometimes it was outside of their zone that they wanted to flip and other times it wasn't. And so uh, we would even do JVs with other wholesalers. Uh, there are massive companies here in DFW. You've probably heard of a few of them. Um, and if nothing else, you can team up with a few of their reps and say, hey, I've got an address. I'm having trouble locating a buyer. Can you help connect those dots? You know? I'll split the fee with you, or I'll give you $1,000, $5,000, whatever. If you're a little bit more junior, um, you know, it's all about what you ask for. You know, maybe a 50-50 deal is good for you, you know? Uh, I remember, yeah, you think in your first deal, if you make $5,000, like, you feel like you hit gold, you're rich, you're going to do this 5,000 times over, and it is a rush lining up deals. And that's what I really enjoy now. But, uh, so we've got a few pocket, uh, investors that we had worked with from real estate meetups or different things like that. But, you know, depending in what markets you're in, you can probably look for someone else that's already doing it. And as long as you have it under contract, you can go to them and say, Hey, I've got this deal. What do you think you could move it at? Or, Hey, I've got it at this price whatever you are able to move it at, maybe we go 50-50 or 70-30 or you make your own terms in this, which is a lot of fun. It's a cool strategy if you're wondering where to actually you know, go find those types of people that can help you sell the property. You could just Google sell my house fast in your city and reach out to the top five people. And uh, we've actually got a, a JV agreement that you can use with them at dealmachine.com slash JV. And that's a simple contract to disposition a deal like that with somebody. So Ethan, once you got the $22,000, then what did you do next? I mean, when did, I guess the next deal came along and you just got the, the ping from the virtual assistant to go talk to him, right? Uh, a, a little bit, a little bit. I would say as, as we've been doing it, um, a little bit, but where we really got excited, um, anyone can do a three bed and two bath house that needs new carpet and paint, right? Uh, so everyone in their mind is looking for those types of houses and, uh, uh, a, a huge market. And I cannot under, uh, express this enough, you know, social media is so huge right now. Even if you're not, uh, you know, like you, David Lucko, and you've got this 
big audience and people that you can talk to and a podcast and, you know, Instagram with all these different followers. Um, I had posted that I was looking for deals and different things like that, not making a huge deal out of it really. Uh, but I had a friend that reached out to me, uh, and she said that her friend's house, uh, had recently caught fire actually. Um, and so they, you had posted on social media the fact that you did a deal and then somebody thought of you. Exactly. Yeah. And I wasn't, you know, posting three times a day and trying to figure out SEO and, you know, algorithms of all these different things. I was like, you know, I'm just going to let people know that I've done this. Like, I think it's kind of cool, you know? Yeah. Um, and I've gotten several deals from that uh, of just people that I know. No lie. My mom was in a salon one time and she overheard someone talking about a house that they were looking to sell. Uh, my mom connected me with that person. We ended up wholesaling it for $45,000 profit. Oh, wow. $45,000. <laughs> thanks to your mom. Did you pay her? I, I did. I did. I got them a nice steak dinner and a, and a little fee. Uh, and that was awesome. It was a little duplex over in South Dallas, but it was interesting, and that first friend is kind of the one that really started to make my mind turn. So she introduced me to her friend, and a really nice couple. Their house had caught fire, um, and insurance had, had mostly paid them out, but they still had a carcass of a house that they didn't really know what to do with. Um, mm-hmm. um, and so they said they had spoken to a realtor, and this blows my mind a little bit, uh, they had a realtor come by, take a look at it. They didn't really know what to do with this, so they took it back to their broker. The broker didn't really know what to do with it. So they were kind of just mm-hmm. stuck there with this house that was burned and they had no use for. Um, I looked at it. I didn't think it was that bad, but insurance had already totaled it. Um, and so I ended up working with them. They They just wanted to get rid of it. They said, just give us dirt value and we'll be happy. So uh, I bought it for that. I bought it for about 35000 um, and ended up selling it for about one twenty-five. Wow. That's awesome. So awesome. any other buyer techniques like uh, aside from reaching out to? Uh, so for the buyer, uh, back in the day, I was a big racquetball player. Loved to play it, traveled a lot, got to know a lot of people through it. And so one of uh, my buddies that I met through that is who I flipped that first house with. Um, we did that one house. He does a ton, uh, but we didn't really do any more deals. But I called him up and I said, hey, I've got this house over here. Like, would you be interested in it? And he bought it in two weeks. Oh, wow. Amazing. All right. So um, a, a couple other things I just wanted to clarify about your journey was if this was so profitable, why do you feel like your partner wanted to go do something else? And what was the difference in thinking where you were like, oh, man, I, I definitely want to keep doing this? Yeah. So uh, there were, there was a couple of things that, that went into it. And again, uh, love the guy. He's great. He was uh, actually a youth pastor at our church, and he and I uh, were working together. Um, and that was his calling. His calling wasn't real estate. He was doing it to... Uh, you know, make some more money so that he could provide for his family and, you know, provided some pretty cool opportunities. Uh, but he was a pastor and that's really where his passion and his focus was and still is really. 
Um, and through that, like I started to do most things, you know, I was getting better at it. I was getting more responsibility with it. And then, uh, we had that deal. We had a few other deals that, that netted even more actually. Um, and, uh, you know, I was getting to a place where I was, uh, running everything, doing everything. It was just he and I, you know, he's full-time pastor. Um, and he, he helped me, you know, show me the ropes on, on a few things as well. Um, and we, we bought some pretty big deals together. We became partners in another venture and it's been a really cool run. Um, but, uh, you know, his calling really was and is ministry. So, um, and he felt that real estate was kind of pulling him away from that. Uh, so I really respect yep. him a lot as well. That's a hard thing to do for something that, that can and does make money, but the other thing is it does take time and you can overcome lack of time with money, but you're paying other people to do it and you're not netting enough. You know what I mean? So it's like kind of this weird dynamic, but so I, I, I really respect him a lot and he's, he's still doing that. He runs a worldwide ministry, uh, here in Dallas. So cool. And then what have you changed to do this on your own? Now you've had to actually be the one to find the addresses, as you said. That one yeah yeah so there's there's lots of ways um some is by word of mouth you know i really like focusing on properties that have really experienced a lot of damage <laughs> because there's there's a lot there's a lot more equity that you can pull out of it as well and people get people get scared uh one deal uh it was a roller coaster of a ride uh it was a realtor that i'd worked with before um, she gave me a call and it was actually a house that had a mold infestation in it. And this was probably the craziest deal I ever worked on. It was a brand new build. It was only two years old. It was in the middle of a lawsuit. It had black mold that was coming in the house. And this was like 4,000 square feet, probably a million dollar home. Um, beautiful inside. And I go over there, I get it under contract. I mean, you go in, you think this is like a brand new build, you know, but I got it for. I probably bought it for like $350,000 or I contracted it at least for $350,000. So I thought, man, I'm going to make, I'm going to make $200,000 on this yeah. thing. Uh, mold is an interesting thing though. Uh, and I guess the way that the original um, construction guys, they didn't put a, an appropriate moisture barrier on the foundation. And so it was sucking up moisture into the house. Um, and I'd almost sold it a couple times. Uh, but in the end there was, is the only house I have ever worked on. And I've worked with houses that have burned all but like two sticks <laughs> mostly. Uh, the only house that there was just really no solution for it. You had to knock the thing down, which was crazy to me because I mean, granite countertops, I mean, you, every, everything. So unfortunately I had to let that go. Um, but that realtor has brought me in. Uh, I wasn't able to get it closed, unfortunately, okay. uh, because of that moisture barrier being underneath. Did you lose any earnest money? Like the, the earnest money that you put down when you get it under contract? No, no, I didn't lose anything. Uh, I might have get out from losing something, for example, because that's something a lot of people fear is like, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and to clarify, I may have been out 50 bucks, maybe a hundred. Cause that's what's typical in Texas. And that's just the difference between earnest and option money. Uh, pretty much every What's state the difference. Pretty, yeah, pretty much every state has that. But they're just two um, levels of skin in the game, 
uh, for the buyer. And so I'll go, I'll get a property under contract. Typically earnest money is about 1%. So let's say I go buy, I get a house under contract for $300,000. Maybe I put up $3,000 of earnest money, but I put up uh, $50 or $100 for what's called a seven-day option period or um, an inspection period, kind of same same here. Um, And what that does is I can pay a nominal fee of $50, and that gives me whatever we agree on. Typically, I say seven days, seven or 10 business days, Um, and it gives me seven days to kind of have an inspection period where I can go bring my contractors in, bring my investors by, bring whoever it is that I want to bring by. Um, and that's the period of time that I bring investors in who, who I might want to partner with on the deal uh, and ultimately sell the deal to. So in that seven-day option period, which I paid maybe $50 for, I can bring whoever I want by, given you still have to work with the seller on what access looks like. Sometimes they need to be there. Um, but in that seven days, I can decide, okay, you know what? This actually isn't a deal uh, that's going to work for me. In the case of that house is like, hey, there's mold here. There is absolutely no way to remediate this, which we weren't expecting. We had engineers come and look at it. Uh, So unfortunately, we have to back out of the contract. So we send a termination notice over to the title company um, and the seller doesn't even really need to sell it. It's just a notice on my end to title that I'm backing out uh, during my option period, and then title will wire the funds back to me. So is that standard in the Texas agreement? I'm not used to seeing two different amounts for earnest money versus the option period. I'm mm-hmm. used to just having one amount. So does the Texas contract have two amounts? It does, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty okay. standard. Um, you know, I used to use a little one-page contract, and it has an earnest money uh, definition or option. Or, yeah. No, earnest and option uh, in Texas, and they've played with the contract a little bit. Uh, but it's just one paragraph. I think it's paragraph three, and uh, it just says, "This is the title company. This is the agent who I'm going to send it to. I'm going to give them a thousand dollars earnest deposit." And I'm also going to give them a $100 option fee. Uh, that option fee will expire in seven days, 10 days, 20 days, whatever. Got it. Well, to wrap things up, can you clarify? You said you were on the financial side of real estate before you did wholesaling. Yeah. What does that mean exactly? And how is your life different then than now? Yeah, it's 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 crazy. Um, I've been in sales most of my life, and I've been able to use that and to get to some pretty interesting arenas. And so, like a mortgage loan officer? Uh, no, actually, um, I teamed up with uh, another buddy of mine. He was actually he's been a mentor in my life, um, and really changed my life for the better. Um, I was working a couple retail jobs. I worked for a steel company. Uh, where I helped set up dealerships that sold the steel. So not all that exciting. Um, but he and I got to speaking and talking and we got to brainstorming one day. We're both kind of the entrepreneurial spirit. We wanted to create something and we wanted a product that we could sell essentially so that we could separate time versus money. Because that's the the absolute worst thing about any W-2 job is you get paid for your time. And I much prefer being in an industry where I get paid for my output, not for my time. 
because you're not limited by the amount of time that you put in a day. And so he and I started actually a commercial finance company where we repped about 50 different banks uh, that funded businesses from a uh, business that was looking for a working capital loan uh, to one that- They'll find the businesses and the bank pays you a finder's fee for that's it. that loan done if they- Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. That's it. That and and so I repped a number of investment companies and, and we were able to give capital for whatever a business would need. And given I could sell stuff, I didn't know anything about money, like how money works. And that's kind of an odd concept. And that would be my biggest advice to anyone that gets into real estate. They want to understand nails and boards and- whatever else the finances is where all the if you can understand the finances you are head over heels above everyone else but anyways i didn't really know what i was doing uh but we were selling loan products and so i would go and speak to banks like hey we're not a bank but we can fund loans and so if you have a client that doesn't fit your parameters send them over to us we're not going to steal your deposits at the bank but we'll fund the loan we'll make everyone happy and i went in and I felt like an idiot. I didn't really know what I was saying, but I would go and talk to them and they would ask me questions. So I knew the questions to ask for the next person. And then I did that about 500 times. Um, and about the 500th person, I knew the questions that people were going to ask. I knew what kind of products people were interested in. Um, and I really enjoyed selling more of the real estate type products. Um, and I got to know investors. And so that's how I did my first deal. I was like, hey, if you need money, let me know. I rep a bunch of different banks. And and so it's just this big learning curve. And so he and I did that for about two years. Um, and ultimately, it wasn't, we weren't able to make it successful enough to keep us both fed, <laughs> essentially. Got it. Uh, but during that time, uh, I was able to at least catch the vision of this different type of living. And I had kind of started to, to get more into real estate because I had met investors. Um, it wasn't enough to feed me every day. Um, and I was thinking, I really like this idea. I really want to keep trying to fight in this arena, although I don't really have all the, I had the, the idea that this could like really work. And I thought, how could I do this during the day, but still like eat <laughs> at the end of the day. And I was trying to think of any job that, that I could get in addition to help me doing this. So I actually got a job doing valet. Uh, and I, it was 24 hour service. It was at the airport up in DFW. And, uh, so I would start my shift at three 30 in the morning, go to 11. And then that would, uh, allow me during the day to try and tackle real estate deals. And I remember my first few days, like I was like a door to door salesman. I would go knock on properties that I would drive by and say like, Hey, <laughs> I wasn't well worded really, but your house doesn't look that great. Do you want to sell? Um, and, uh, you know, so it was just a whirlwind and then I was able to get a few deals done. And, you know, a year later I was able to stop doing the valet because what I was doing in real estate was working a little bit more. Um, but in everything that I've done, you know, I've, I've done lots of different aspects of real estate at this point from, uh, lending, uh, to flipping and other stuff, but really my my favorite has been wholesaling because you know you you are working with people you're making solutions and you're just a deal finder i get so much excitement out of making deals and the start of the deal is when you can find an address is what i say when you find a deal and then once you find that 
you can bring in the buyer, you can satisfy the seller, you can do so many different things. So a wholesaler is really the ultimate deal maker in real estate. And then you get paid with no risk. So that's why I like it. <laughs> Love it. Well, Ethan, is there a place on social media people can find you, like your Instagram account that you want to tell? Uh, yeah, I am on Instagram. I, I post a little bit there, uh, a little bit of my social life. I've posted some uh, real estate as well. Uh, but yeah, I'm on Instagram as Ethan Wadsworth. So uh, yeah, it'd be awesome. You can shoot me a text on there and say, hey, you saw me on uh, the Deal Machine podcast. So uh, it's been you know great. Thanks for having me today, Dave, but that would, that'd probably be the best place they could find me. Thank you so much. And we talked about analyzing a deal. If you guys want to listen to more details on how to analyze a deal, check out episode 71 of the Deal Machine podcast on how to analyze a real estate deal. We also talked about finding buyers. So if you want to keep listening, check out episode 77 to 2x your income by qualifying your buyers. And they also go into how to find buyers in that episode and let Ethan know that you heard him here. And we'll uh, see you guys on the next episode. Bye-bye. One of the things we mentioned in this episode was analyzing a real estate deal. We told you about our AI assistant. If you want to listen to more of the methodology on how to analyze a deal for a wholesale deal, check out podcast episode 71, How to Analyze a Real Estate Deal with David Lecko. See you guys on the next one. Thanks for listening to the Deal Machine Real Estate Investing Podcast. Please leave us a review and follow along wherever you're listening to your podcast.